Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On this episode, we're joined by Adriana Adami. Adriana is an indigenous democracy and education reporter for Buffalo's Fire via Report for America. Buffalo's Fire is a nonprofit website that produces independent journalism to enhance the quality of life for Native communities through news coverage that informs and engages American Indians and lifts up their stories to the broader culture. She's based in North Dakota. She's number two on the masthead and is a 2020 graduate of Cal State San Marcos and has a master's from Syracuse. She's of Mexican heritage and an enrolled member of the Chippewa Cree tribe of Rocky Boy, Montana. Hi, thanks for joining me. Hi, how are you, Mark? I'm good, and I'm looking forward to this conversation, which always begins with our guest telling us their journalism origin story. I first began journalism in, what was it, Halloween of 2017. joined the Cougar Chronicle at Cal State San Marcos. The reason I joined is because I felt like I didn't see much Indigenous coverage on campus. So I began because I wanted to report on more Indigenous events. But what ended up happening is that I got really into breaking news. So it wasn't just Indigenous students I was looking at. I got a little bit of everything. It wasn't until 2019 where I realized that this was something I wanted to do as a career because of some really big stories that happened within, I believe, a few weeks of each other. There was a audit investigation on the dean of my school And the San Diego Union Tribune broke the story, but we did follow-ups. And that whole process was really interesting to me. Then we also had a story that was a follow-up on our campus of the Poway Sangog shooting because the shooter was a student at our campus. So I wrote the follow-up story where everyone came together to heal and Yeah, those are really big stories that kind of just made me realize that I had the potential to be an actual reporter. Can you trace for us your life uh, a little bit before that, your background, and if there's anything in your family or heritage that lends itself to storytelling? I grew up in Carlsbad, California. I, you know, grew up in a little beach town. It was pretty chill. Like, I always had an interest in writing, but what really kind of gave me that story narrativeness was my grandpa. Um, I call him Pappy, but Pappy always tells stories of his past. Um, Growing up as a first-generation Mexican in San Francisco, and he told stories about the difficulties of his childhood, the discrimination he faced, and you know how he had to work hard to be able to support his family and you know, he had to work hard to exceed the expectations from those around him. So I guess, you know, all his stories just really inspired me to do better. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that, you know, ambition would go towards my writing and reporting. 
A lot of times when uh, you're younger, you don't necessarily realize the impact of things that happen early in your life, just little incidental things, even like just listening to his stories, uh, certainly. Now, I see you had, you mentioned what you did in college, and I see that you had a few internships as well, PopSugar, Syracuse.com among them. Can you give us what your big takeaways were from those and how you ended up at your current job with Buffalo's Fire? Yeah, so post-graduation, we were just in the pandemic. There wasn't really too much internship opportunity for me at first. So I started off at Flick Editorial. It's more of a editorial site that was run by a friend, Lior. And I kind of just start off with editorial writing. And then once I began Syracuse, I kind of got started with Pop Sugar in the fall, which was, you know, editorial-esque. I wrote a little bit of pop culture. I wrote some personal essays. And it was more of just an experimental time with my writing because I do love personal essays, but I also like feature pieces like how I did in Syracuse dot com in the spring. But Syracuse.com is kind of what really got me back into feature writing. And it kind of made me want to do more community news, which is kind of like what I do now. And that led you to report for America and then Buffalo's Fire? Yeah. So after I graduated from Syracuse, I was looking for work and I had some professors recommend Report for America. So I applied in addition to my regular job search, and I luckily got into the program. And from Report for America, I was partnered with Buffalo's Fire. So that what, is how I got here. And what's the importance of Buffalo's Fire in the news ecosphere? So Buffalo's Fire, I mean, we're a native-run nonprofit news organization our purpose is to amplify native voices. In mainstream media, it's rare that you hear from an indigenous perspective. And if so, it's not as nuanced as you know we would like it to be. So I think it's important that we have native run organizations like Buffalo's Fire to who, you know, kind of has a little bit of that experience, a little bit of that knowledge in order to go more in depth in these stories. You mentioned that your, we mentioned that your heritage is both Mexican and Chippewa. How connected were you to your native past before you, you took this role? So I kind of had like a funny story growing up. Well, not so funny, but my birth parents, they got divorced at a young age. So I grew up with the Mexican side of the family and I had pretty much very, very limited connection with the native side of the family on the reservation. I would talk to some people via phone calls. My great aunt and I, we talk on Facebook all the time, but I never got a chance to visit. So it wasn't really until I was 18 where I got to kind of begin reconnecting with that side um, through the Native American um, Student Association at Cal State. Um, I grew up in, you know, a very 
white area. So I kind of felt um, disconnected from both cultures. Yeah, it wasn't until I was 18. And even now, it's a process of reconnecting, especially if you're not from the reservation, if you didn't grow up in the culture. It's a continuous process of learning. Now, I'm curious, like, what's that like? It's very weird sometimes because I know I look ambiguously brown. Like, I can pass, you know, for either or because I am either, I'm both. I'm both Mexican and I'm, and I'm both Chippewa But it's very odd being in those spaces where everyone around me seems to know what they're doing and like I just don't so yeah it's a process of learning watching I know there's just some customs that I don't understand and I still need to take the time to learn same thing with the Mexican side like I don't speak Spanish but people look at me very bizarrely when they see that I don't understand what they're saying and they're like you're Mexican right and it's like yeah, but I didn't grow up speaking Spanish. So I'm looking at the website. I looked at it in early November, and I saw some examples of the kinds of stories that you've written. You covered a masquerade powwow around Halloween time. You covered a guest speaker at a local library. You covered renovations at a college. And you covered the mayor of Bismarck, North Dakota, speaking at a forum about discrimination, one that was organized by his native foster son. These are a pretty wide variety of ideas. Where do you get your story ideas from? So most of the time I scroll through, you know, online for uh, native-run organizations in Bismarck. But other times I just, you know, continue to reach out and talk to people in the community. Um, It's super important to talk to people in the community you cover so that you find these stories. And I am very lucky to have been met with open arms for the most part. And that's kind of just led to a lot of the stories that I've reported on. And you're the essentially the writer for the, the site, like the primary, I saw, I said before, you're number two on the masthead. Yeah, so I am Buffalo's Fire first and only full-time reporter. So a lot of the time you'll see me and my name on the site. <laughs> So I'm looking at a couple of other pieces, and these are things that you got to cover because you're the number one. I want to ask what they were like to cover. Uh, One is a memorial walk that was trying to raise awareness and support for a bill that would help find Indian boarding school survivors. This relates to a program, I believe we've talked about it in previous episodes, that took Native Americans out of their homes and sent them to these awful boarding schools to become, quote, Americanized that from 1869 to 1969. How did that piece go from idea to finished product? So I heard of the event on Facebook and I always knew that Orange Shirt Day happens every year. I first covered it in Syracuse, but I hadn't covered it since. So when I saw that they're doing a walk down here, I knew that it was going to be a bigger story. It's going to tackle a lot of really sensitive issues. And it was definitely like an emotional experience once you got on the site. 
you could see how it really, you know, still affects people today, how that intergenerational trauma affects all like American Indian communities across the country. Yeah, it was, it was definitely one of the most meaningful stories I've reported on. In addition to doing that piece, another one that I saw was a piece on a local homeless shelter promoting sobriety. Certainly, maybe I shouldn't presume that stories related to sobriety are prominent in in your coverage area. What was I like to cover? This is probably the most meaningful story, in my opinion, that I've covered since I've been at Buffalo's Fire. I drove all the way from Bismarck three hours north to the Trail Mountain Reservation by the Canadian border. And I just spent the day at the shelter talking to the guests and or the residents, as well as all those who run the shelter. And I just sat and I listened to their stories. Many of them were very heartbreaking. I just remember that at times it really like hit my heart, but yeah, there's a, addiction is an issue that affects American Indian communities, but a much larger issue is, you know, what leads to that. And usually that's a lack of support in indigenous communities and reservations. There isn't enough support. There is just, yeah, there's there's a lot going on that I hope to report on in future stories. Do you have a long list of ideas related to that topic? Yeah, I would love to just, you know, write more about homelessness and how not just the lack of support from, you know, the government, but also how that ties to education, how that ties to family, how it all ties to intergenerational trauma. Yeah. What was what was the reader reaction like to that one? I know that last month we got an award for that story. Um, Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Buffalo's Fire, you know, tries really hard to report on important stories in the community like homelessness and housing, which is an issue in North Dakota and really around the country. But yeah, I still talk uh, occasionally to some people I've written stories on and they're usually very appreciative, but mostly I try to see if there's any follow-up that we can do because, you know, stories just don't end after like one. My old mentor, Kent Davey, told me that stories have legs. So there's always a follow-up. For sure. What makes your current beat so interesting to cover? As a indigenous democracy democracy reporter, wow. So I don't just do community news, I do education, I do events, culture. Sometimes I tackle bigger stories like housing rights, sensitive stuff like homelessness, as well as um, 
boarding schools for, you know, stories like the Orange Shirt Day one. But I mean, I have a lot of variety. So there's a lot of things I'm looking into. My mind's a little bit everywhere, but I love what I do. I love reporting on Indigenous communities. And this is definitely where I want to be in terms of my reporting. Do you have a favorite sub-segment of the beat? Ooh. I want to say I really love just community events, but also tackling housing rights and homelessness has been an issue that I've been very passionate about reporting on. What's the process of writing stories like those like for you? Usually I do a little bit of research. I go to events or meetings and I try to find people in the, in the community where who are affected by those issues. And, you know, usually after taking that time, because it's, I cannot stress how important it is to connect with people in the community and not just write a story and go. Because you have to build trust in Indigenous communities. But yeah, usually I take my time talking to people and then eventually I go home. I do a little more research and then I just write the story like on one page and then I go back and I refine it until it gets to until it's you know presentable enough to pass on to the editor are you are your deadlines flexible it depends some stories need to you know get an essay as soon as possible but others mm, it depends it really depends on like profiles. Profiles can take a little longer, but if it's like big news, that has to be in sooner rather than later. I'm curious, you mentioned personal essays before, and I was going through Pop Sugar, and I found one that you wrote about embracing the New Year's Eve traditions of your great-grandmother. I'm, cur I'm curious what the process was like of writing that one and how that one came together. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So my great-grandma, Rosie, she was a wonderful woman. She was kind of like the heart of our family. And everyone would go to her home during Christmas. So, and really all the holidays. But yeah, so she died of COVID-19. Actually, the three-year anniversary was yesterday. So it was a tough story to write in regards to what that meant for my family but also I was really good to just it felt really good just to write that on like pen and paper and then eventually kind of just like honor her memory in an article because I feel like even if I don't talk about her as much moving forward like she's always there in writing so yeah, it was definitely meaningful, and I'm really happy that I got to do that. Is there any other piece that you've done that you're particularly proud of that you wanted to share with our audience? On like ed editorial, I wrote a few more personal essays, I think, over the course of a year, mostly about like mental health. I wrote about depression, 
I also wrote about pretty much just finding that inner peace. So definitely always take care of yourself. That's my number one piece of advice as well. Well, that leads right into my question. How do you manage your mental health? I kind of just do my best to not overwhelm myself. And I know that can be hard considering this beat. There's just so much happening at once and I want to do everything. But I guess the most important thing is to just like sit myself down, drink a cup of tea and just like tell myself to slow down because I can't be my best self as a reporter if I'm overwhelmed and if I'm at a breaking point. And that's, you know, to make the best stories, you have to be your best self. The hardest part of of the job for you that, that makes it hard to be your best self. Ooh, so yeah, definitely myself. I mean, the hardest part is making sure that I'm continuously in a good place to continue doing the stories that I'm working on. I have to uh, make sure that I don't get overwhelmed to the point where I need to stop because I want to keep like doing what I do and I want to keep going full speed. But sometimes you have to slow it down a little bit. What does uh, success look like to you at this point? You mentioned earlier in the interview, you said you're where you want to be, basically. Success to me looks like being happy with what you're doing and also kind of just, I don't know, I guess just being satisfied. I know I'm satisfied reporting on Indigenous communities and I hope to do more of this in whatever scale but I think when you feel good about what you do that's kind of when you're at a successful point. So I'm looking at things that you did for Syracuse and we've spent a lot of time talking about very serious stories one that's on the lighter side you you did a feature profile of the dogs that played Sandy in the national touring version of the timeless play musical Annie. What went into writing that story? Yeah, so I talked to the dog's trainer and we just had a really long phone call. The dude was really interesting, but yeah, I had to cut that like nearly one hour phone call into a 500 word article but yeah he had a lot of funny stories but also there have been many sandys in the past and it's just very interesting to learn about dog acting yeah i was gonna say that that's pretty distinct compared to some of the other things that you've written about certainly what's the coolest part about uh being in north dakota Oh my gosh. So North Dakota was a transition. Before North Dakota, I was living back home in San Diego. But before San Diego, I was in New York. And then all of a sudden I was in North Dakota. I lived in three states in one year. But so far, I think the Plains has its own type of beauty. I wasn't really anticipating that when I was like moving up here. But I kind of like how quiet it can be sometimes because Bismarck only has 70,000 people 
my hometown in Carlsbad, my small little beach town has 120,000 people. So definitely the quiet can be serene at times, but definitely I make myself get out there. So that's not too quiet. <laughs> How's the weather? Okay. So the weather maybe is not my favorite thing. It was like 15 degrees the other day. So I do love snow, but everyone's been telling me that it gets really bad out here, like negative 30, negative 40. And the coldest I've been in is like a Syracuse zero. Right. So, all right. So you're, it's coming for you at some point. Oh, yeah. How has, how has Report for America been helpful for you? I really like the workshops that they have, especially when we do beat me ups. A few weeks ago, I met up with some other Indigenous affair reporters, and some I already knew from the last Indigenous Journalist Association conference, but it's always great to meet new people and kind of just relate to like what we're going through, what we're struggling with at the moment, and our biggest success of the week. I noticed that, just to tie up some loose ends here, that Buffalo's Fire has what they call a note-takers program. We've interviewed people about uh, similar things uh, with Documented and with other organizations. Just can you fill us in on, on what that is for anyone that might not know? Mm -hmm. So a note-taker program is kind of where we pay members of the community to, get to go take notes at public meetings, and affairs that happen in the community. So what will happen is that the notes that the note takers will take will get published on the transcript on the website. And also we have a community engagement coordinator who will look through selected stories or selected um, transcripts and then pass along to me to see if it could become a story. Yeah, I was gonna say that that essentially serves as your network for potential things that could, could happen down the road. On LinkedIn, you said you want to become an investigative journalist to report on missing and murdered Indigenous women and children. We interviewed someone previously who did that, Luella Bryn. What kind of journalist do you want to be? Oh, gosh. So I want to be a journalist that reports responsibly, respectively, and, you know, I want to be sensitive about these type of issues. I want to report on stuff like MMIW right because I feel like a lot of the time people just see, you know, missing and murdered women, but who are those women? And, you know, what led to everything that occurred to their disappearance. So I kind of just want to go a little bit more in depth and eventually I want to investigate, but you know, I know that I still have a ways to go before I begin that part of my career. Yeah, you're still building up. You're building kind of the foundation for being able to do that in the future. So the show is called The Journalism Salute. We salute you for your good work and we ask that you do likewise. Is there a journalist or journalism organization that you would like to salute for their good work? I met the Indigenous gang 
when I was at the Indigenous Journalists Association Conference in Winnipeg. And that team is amazing. Eden Finday, Kara McKenna, and Anna McKenzie. I read her article on love and intergenerational trauma, how the past, like, it just talks about how the past comes back and affects you in different ways. But definitely that piece almost had me in tears. And I never cry. I never cry when I read or watch anything. Well, that's certainly the goal of journalists is to inform, but also to evoke an emotional reaction. And it sounds like that happened there. And it sounds like your work is doing that for others, as you talked about. Adriana Adami, thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck in your future work. We'll be following it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at JournalismPod, and you can email us at JournalismSalute at gmail.com.